Good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. It should be a Boker Tov. Am Yisrael should hear Besoros Tovos. Please, God, we should hear good news. Our hostages should be brought home. Our soldiers should be home. We should have peace, safety, and security. I want to thank our Parsha series sponsors for the year. Becky and Avi Katz, a family, a member of David Grossman, Lo'ilu Nechmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. This morning's sponsor as well, today's Shear. Elian Yafa Mandelbaum, a memory of her mother, Kezwag Chaya Bastova, whose yurt site is today, was an amazing mother and grandmother. She is sorely missed. Her Neshama Shadav and Aliyah by Stasha and Janice Jacobs in observance of the 10th yurt site of his beloved father, Simcha Gershon Ben Yitzchak, whose Neshama Shadav and Aliyah as well. So thank you to our generous sponsors. Quick reminders, immediately following Shir, as always, we invite and encourage you to stay. We'll divide all of Sefer Tehillim several times within just a few minutes. The more of you stay, we can complete the entire book of Tehillim more than once. A tremendous merit. It's a little, small, tiny ask of us. Stay just a couple minutes afterwards. If you've not yet hung an Israeli flag and American flag on your cars, please do make a statement everywhere you go that you stand with Israel, the U.S.-Israel relationship. And lastly, reminder, this Motzei Shabbos, we have the privilege of welcoming back Dr. Erica Brown, the Vice Provost of Values and Leadership, Inaugural Director of the Rabbi Sachs Center for Values and Leadership at Yeshiva University, an amazing speaker, an amazing woman, Dr. Erica Brown, this Motzei Shabbos at 8.30 p.m. right here in this very same space. So, please join us this Motzei Shabbos. Please forgive me for wearing this fleece. I'm cold. It's very cold. If you'd like coffee or tea, it's in the back. It can warm you. Because in Florida, we don't have heat inside, so it's cold. When it's like in the 60s, it's just torturous. Okay. Parashas Vayigash, page 250 in the Art Scroll Stone. Chumash Vayigash, I love you, da. Vayomar bi Adoni. Our parasha picks up where last week left off. And we are continuing this incredible storyline that even though we know the way it ends, and I say this every year, nevertheless, we are at the edge of our seat. We're reading with tremendous curiosity, with tremendous eagerness, with tremendous tension to find out how the story unfolds. Yosef has orchestrated the entire order of events to both make his dreams come true as well to enable his brothers to do tshuva, the opportunity to correct and to not repeat where they went wrong with him. Amazingly magnanimous, generous, and gracious of him rather than seek revenge, rather than, rather than want to put them in their place, Yosef wants to give them an opportunity to be the brothers he always dreamt and hoped and wished they would be. And that's how our parsha begins. Vayigashe love Yehuda. Yehuda steps up. Yehuda steps out. Yehuda approaches something he had never done for Yosef, nor had anyone else. And now Yosef had a successfully orchestrated events, so much so that Yehuda behaves in the way that Yosef always wanted. Vayigashe love Yehuda. Yehuda approached him and he said, Bi Adoni, please, my Lord, my master. Can I speak to you? Can I approach the bench? Can I speak freely? Please don't get angry. Don't be frustrated. For you are like Paro. We begin with the Tefer Shmuel. We've been learning the beautiful Torahs of Rav Shmuel Berenbaum, the Rosh Hashiv of the Mir Brooklyn. He quotes Rashi. Simple understanding is, you are like, who is great unto you? Like Paro. Yosef, you're the viceroy of Egypt. Yosef, you are an incredibly powerful man. You are in an incredibly powerful position. Can I approach the bench? Can I confide? Can I speak to you freely? Can I appeal to you? Do I have to fear for my life? Or can I confront you? I don't understand. Yehuda is about to unload on Yosef. Yehuda is about to level all of his grievances, all of his complaints. He's about to unload on Yosef. So he introduces with a little flattery. Ooh, you are so great. There's no one like you like other than Paro. Paro is the strongest. Paro is the emperor. You're the second in command. There's no one like you. Now that I told you that, now that I flattered you, now that I positioned you, now let me tell you all my problems with you. <laughs> you're so chashiv to me. You're so significant. You're so strong. You're so important. Now let me tell you everything you do wrong. 
And now he's going to do the opposite of treat him like somebody chashev. What's going on? You know, it reminds me, anytime anyone ever says, Rabbi, with all due respect, you know what's going to come next has no respect. Whenever the introduction, whenever the words with all due respect, you know what's coming next. So, Great Yosef, with all due respect. No one's great like you other than Paro. Now let me tell you all the things that you do wrong. There's an incredibly important lesson for all of us interpersonally. Not only we speak to powerful leaders, not only when we advocate and lobby for the things that matter most, but also for the people closest to us, we're most comfortable and familiar with. This is an incredibly important lesson, a parsha perspective for the relationships of our lives. Even though Yehuda Taka had many reasonable, legitimate arguments, complaints, tainas on Yosef, and these aren't stam little insignificant things. These are meaningful. These are He's going to challenge Yosef on very significant things. For example, why were you suspicious of us that we were that we were spies? And why did you place money and falsely accuse us? And why did you ask about our families? And why did you place this cup? And why were you trying to position to take one of us as a slave? The important powerful lesson here is Yehuda was not positioning Yosef, flattering Yosef. He was not looking up to Yosef in a way that he would then get what he wanted or he could speak to him how he wanted. The with all due respect was not set as a license to then speak with no respect. What he was trying to do was distinguish. On the one hand, Yosef, you the person, you your position, I admire, I respect, I honor, but I will now honorably and respectfully express my concerns, my legitimate criticisms. What we read or see is contradictory. If you really honor and love and respect, then you would never complain. You would never criticize. Who says? Criticisms are part of life. Constructive, respectful, with honor, with dignity. When they're offered and communicated in a way which compromises in a way that lacks respect and honor and dignity, they're, they're a problem. But a person can maintain their chashivas. On the one hand, I have respect and I have admiration. And I want to bring with you in a constructive fashion a concern I have, a question I have. And Yosef reciprocates the exact same quality. Because even though Yosef, whose tainas whose complaints against his brothers rise at least to the level of their complaints against him. After all, you marginalized, you dismissed, you tried to kill me, you threw me in a pit, you sold me into slavery, you ignored me for 22 years. Yosef's complaints are as legitimate as anyone else's. But Yosef does not use the complaints to entirely, entirely dismiss the entire relationship to see his brothers as irredeemable, as having no honor, no worthiness, to be entirely lacking anything worthy of admiring. Yosef is able, like his brothers were towards him, to distinguish between the chashivas on the one hand, there is the person, and there is the message that I want to communicate. Yosef reciprocates this same exact quality back to and we see Klai Yisrael too, Parshas Chukas, says the Tefer Shmuel, when it came to the man, you can have a complaint. When your complaint clouds your vision, when the complaint obfuscates, the complaint creates this, this uh, obstacle that deprives you and denies you of the ability to speak to and to connect with the other person in any sense of dignity or honor, then it's not okay. But when you can speak respectfully and continue to see the good and admire and have a dignified relationship but offer a constructive criticism, that, so it's not a contradiction, says the Fer Shemuel. And this is a critical thing to know 
when it comes to peace in our homes, harmony in marriage, parenting in children, friendships, and colleagues. If you have a criticism, just offer the criticism, the problem that can have a solution, the criticism in a constructive way. But don't, don't pile on and don't broaden out and don't magnify it and don't exaggerate it and don't bring up everything of all of history. Don't go back in time. Just express that particular and specific issue in a constructive fashion. Dr. John Gottman, who's spoken here, a world, the world authority on healthy marriages, on great marriages, he says, and I love this expression, every time a couple has a fight, with every fight, there was a conversation that needed to happen, and the fight happened instead. What was the catalyst? What stimulated or provoked that fight? Somebody was frustrated, upset, disappointed, resentful, hurt, injured, and there was a conversation that needed to happen, a legitimate conversation that needed to happen. But when a fight, when it escalates, when it magnifies, you always, you're just like your mother, your father, your family. You're the worst. Since I remember for the last 30 years, 17 times, these dates and these times, and I have a whole spreadsheet of exact. Then instead of having the conversation in a constructive fashion, the fight happens instead. Ad hominem, personal attacks, personal criticism. Instead of bringing up the issue and a constructive solution and resolution and a repair and a closeness, Instead, further damage, sabotage, happens instead. Says Gottman, with every fight, there was a conversation that needed to happen, and the fight happened instead. This is also true when it comes to our children. If our children make a mistake, cross the line, come up short, are we critical of the particular choice or action? Do we hold them to higher esteem? Do we tell them that's beneath you, that's below you, what you're capable of? Or do we say... You're always a clown. You're an underachiever. Why do you do such stupid things? Why do you always act so silly? Why are you so impossible? Why are you... Because when we make it a character attack, then they'll just fulfill that prophecy of them. Versus when we separate out the action. So that, and he goes on here, but I want to move on in the parsha. He goes on and says, this is exactly what Yehuda is doing strategically so well. First he says, Ki I admire you. I respect you. I want to have a relationship with you. There's a platform and a foundation. There's a baseline of respect. But now I'd like to bring some things to your attention that I need some clarification on. Some things that are troubling. Some things that don't make sense. Some criticism that is constructive that I want to do to advance our relationship, not sabotage it or hurt it. And here Yehuda is modeling for us in marriage, in parenting, in business, and in life the way to not attack a character, to not offer ad hominem attacks, to not dismiss the entire person, but to be able to recognize and see the good and the great and the redemptive in them, and at the same time be able to positively and constructively have the conversation rather than escalate the fight. What an important, what an important message. He then has a second piece in the Tefer Shmuel. Rashi says, This is actually not a recognition of admiration. Second interpretation of Rashi is, maybe it's a criticism of Yehuda. He says, just like Paro decrees and doesn't fulfill, he makes a promise and comes up short, you're no different. What happened over here? What's going on? You made a promise. If we bring our brother down and everything's okay and we can go back, and yet you're not fulfilling the promise. You're just like Paro. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did Paro do wrong? Why is Yehuda throwing Paro under the bus? If you're not happy with the way Yosef's been treating you, confront Yosef. Why do you have to invoke Paro? What are you invoking Paro? Again, if you want to destroy a relationship in a fight with a, with a spouse, then the number one way you can do that is say, you're just like your mother. You're just like your father. You're just like your family. Because the person that you know, Taka, you're right. I'm just like them. They're terrible. I'm terrible. We all really need to improve. Thank you for pointing that out. I learned so much from that. That happens exactly never times. What happens instead, you're bringing my mother into this? You're bringing my father? You're bringing my grandparents? You're bringing my siblings into this? Are you out of your mind? You want to talk about parents? Let's talk about your parents. 
It's the unraveling of a relationship. So ask the Tefer Shmuel, what's Yehuda doing over here? Yosef, you don't fulfill your promises. And you know who you're just like? You're the number two? You're just like your boss, Paro. He also doesn't fulfill his promises. What's he doing over here? What did Paro ever do wrong? What kind of a strategy is this? You're trying to appeal to Yehud, to Yosef, to let your brother Binyamin go home with you. You're trying to resolve a situation. So what are you pouring fuel on the fire? Why are you making it worse? By invoking Paro. And listen to what the Tefer Shmuel says. On the Yom Noraim in our Vidui, this Friday, none of us want to accept that it's going to be a fast day this Friday, but it's a fast day. We want Mashiach to come for many reasons before then, but that's just one more. So in Slichos, what do we say? Aval anachnu va'avoseinu chatanu. Hashem, forgive us, slach, forgiveness, kapara, slicha, everything. Why? Because we have to admit, you know, we, we don't want to, but what can we do? We have to admit, we... And our parents have really come up short. And your parents are looking at you saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want to ask for forgiveness? This is your admission and your confession? Lovely. What are you bringing me into this? What are you invoking me? Have you not felt guilty every time? Yabam Noraim, every time you say slichos? I feel guilty. I feel, my parents, they're wonderful. What do you have to invoke your parents? It's the opposite of Kibar Avein. You should say, my parents, they're wonderful. But me, I got a lot of work to do. What are you throwing your parents under the bus in Slichos? The answer is the reason we're invoking them is what we're trying to say in our own defense. We're not so guilty. It didn't originate with us. Hashem, you planted within man a Yetzirah. You gave us a drive, a temptation, a desire. You made us imperfect from the beginning. Our great, 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 great grandparents, our great grandparents, our grandparents, our parents, and we are imperfect. We have inherited imperfection. We've inherited these struggles. We've inherited these challenges. They didn't originate with us. So in our own defense, what we're trying to point out is, it's true, I'm not perfect and I'm going to work on it. But it's genetic. It's genetic. So he says, our parents, those who are no longer among the living, are looking down and they're rooting for us. They're saying, invoke the genetic argument. We're up here, the Beisden is looking, invoke the genetic thing. <laughs> Blame us. Because we're so concerned that we so want what's right for you. We so want you to get off the hook. We so want your well-being. Invoke the genetic thing. And yeah, we did too. Our, your grandparents and the great-grandparents. Turn to the genetic argument. And that's what's going on over here. Why is this a winning strategy? What he's saying is, look, Yosef, you haven't exactly fulfilled your word. I don't blame you. Not your fault. That's how you were mentored. That's what Paro taught you. But if you could not pay it forward and fulfill your word, and send Binyamin home, it'd be really great. So Yehuda's not saying it as a criticism or attack. Yehuda's saying it indeed as a strategy to appease and appeal to Yosef. Yosef, you haven't fulfilled your word. But rather than you see that as a criticism of you, no, ki chamocha ke paro. After all, where did you learn? Who was your mentor? You learned from Paro. He didn't ever fulfill his word, and therefore we don't hold it against you. But if you wouldn't mind fulfilling your word now, we would greatly appreciate it. That is the two interpretations of the Tiferes Shmor Shmor Berenbaum. We turn to the Amaros Tahoros, the Rach Meshrifko Rebbe, Zatzal. And he quotes a few interpretations here at the opening of the Parsha. We're going to get past the first Pasuk. We could do the whole, we could do 15 Shirim on the first Pasuk. I love this first Pasuk. Notice I'm not telling you my favorite Dvar Torah about the three Vayigashes in the Torah and the Rakeach quoted by the Ramah, the three steps that we take forward to start our Amida are the three, correspond with the three Vayigash. Three people stepped forward and we imitate those three people when we take three steps forward to begin each and every Amida. That's the origin of it. The Ramah quotes the Rakeach, but I'm not telling you that Dvar Torah. Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Yedaberna avdecha davar ba'aznei Adoni. 
Says the Medrash, Kama Pirushim What's the Yehuda Vaigash? He's approaching? I point this out every year, but you know why we start the Parsha with all these Divrei Torah on the word Vayigash? Because you haven't looked at the Parsha since last Shabbos. Maybe since last Parsha class. But if you read the Parsha last week and this week in succession, if you simply turn back a page and then turn to this page, you'll realize Yehuda is not initiating a new conversation. He is in the middle of a conversation with Yosef. So when he says, Vayigash Elav Yudah, when he approaches and he says, is it okay if I say something? Yeah, we're in the middle of talking. Yeah, this is our meeting. What do you need permission now? What are you asking? So the Medrash offers several interpretations of why Yehuda needs to ask to approach and ask permission to speak when he's already in the middle of speaking. So the Medrash says, Rabbi Yehuda Omer that Vayigash was, mm, he's ready to fight. He's ready to brawl. Fisticuffs. Yudah is ready to step up and take it on the chin to defend the brother. Now you can understand why Yosef was no longer able to hold back. 22 years. 22 years, he said, the brothers I longed for, I wished I had. The brothers who abandoned me, neglected me, marginalized me, dismissed me, excluded me. I I, want to hope, I want to believe that they're different. How will I know? I need to put them in exactly the same circumstance in order to test whether they've done tshuva gemurah, complete repentance. How will I do that? I'll put them in a position whether they'll either abandon another brother, and what's the closest brother to me? There's only one other brother who has not only the same father, but the same mother. And who's that? Binyamin. So the closest I can get to putting them in the same circumstance as me is the only other brother that is the same father and the same mother. See whether they will neglect and abandon him as they did me, or whether Vayigash, whether they'll step up. And what does he witness? He sees Yehuda step up. First, Lamachama, he's ready to fight. From Nehemiah Omer Hagasha Lapius. He comes and he steps forward to appeal to him. He comes and he steps forward to whisper, to Dvar Mayotzim and Alev, to speak heart to heart. Rabbanon Amre Hagasha Latfila. He stepped forward, not really about Yosef, but Vayigash Elav Yehuda. Yehuda stepped forward for what? To Davin. In that moment, it may have appeared he was talking to Yosef, but. To whom was Yehuda really addressing his words? To Hashem. He was davening. This is an incredible precedent and model for us. Sometimes in life, you're talking to the doctor, the surgeon, but you're really talking to Hashem. You're talking to the lawyer or judge, you're really talking to Hashem. You're talking to your broker, but you're really asking and talking to Hashem. Really in life, you're talking, it seems, to the other person, but even that conversation with the person could be to the person who's physically before you, but behind them, above them, beyond them, you're also using what seems that mundane conversation between people is also an expression of a conversation with Hashem. On the Pasuk, it's a very beautiful Pasuk. Mordechai Ben David has a beautiful song on these words. The tefillah of an impoverished person. When they are, when they are kiyatov, when they are atifa, when their head is wrapped. Before Hashem, lefnei Hashem yishpach sicho. This indigent, impoverished, underprivileged person in a moment of crisis before whom do they pour out their sicho, their conversation, they're talking to Hashem. So the Baal Shem Tov on this Pasuk says the following, This is a mashal of a king. A king on the day of his joy, The king proclaims in his kingdom, Ah, my daughter's wedding today. My daughter's wedding. So anyone who can meet with me, any request you have of me, I will fulfill. We don't have kings today, but... Supposedly there are other demographics who have this practice on the day of their daughter's wedding, members of the mafia, that any request you have of me, I will fulfill. Today I wanna, I'm so joyous, I'm so happy, I want to share and spread the happiness. Whatever you want, I say yes to. So one by one they line up, and this one says, could you lend me some money? This one says, can you pay my debt? This one says, can you get me out of this crisis, this circumstance? This one says, can you make me this connection? This one says, can you give me this honor? This one... Co- 
And then the last one comes. And what does he say? He says, My one request is that I can come and make requests whenever I need. Brilliant. Right? There's a lot today. The genie, the bottle, what do you ask for? So, but the king, the mafia, but whatever your mushal is. Chazal went with the king. Mushal. So, and what's the brilliant one say? The brilliant request of the brilliant one is, my one request is that I can come make requests whenever I want. And the king is thrilled. Brilliant. Absolutely. I'm happy to fulfill it. And that's what the Pasuk of the Bamshal Tov meant. Pasham Tov said, that's the Pasuk of David Amelach. What is the Tfilah Which is the all encompassing Tfilah that the Ani, that in that moment of crisis, that moment of urgency, which is the all encompassing Tfilah you should offer? The tefillah is, Lefnei Hashem Yishpoch Sicho. King Hashem, my tefillah in my moment of crisis is that I can come anytime to pour out my heart, to ask of anything. Hatoldos, the Toldos, who was the Talmud of the Bashem who recorded most of his teachings that we have, Mivayr Sham Barichas and Yinazevu Amoka Amok. Very, very deep. The core of all, all of our tefillah, for tefillah to most effective, efficacious, for tefillah to work the most powerfully, the most potently, the best, our tefillah should not be about us. Hashem, help me heal and become better, physically, mentally, emotionally. Why? Because if I'm healthy and well, I can best serve you. Hashem, help me pay off my debt. Help me come into money. Help me earn more. Why? Because if I'm not worried about money, I can best serve you. Hashem, help me have children. Help me... Everything should be not about us, but if that request is fulfilled, I am best positioned to live a mission-driven, purpose-driven life that I can serve you. And that's what it means, our apostle, coming back to Parshas Vayigash. Vayigash elav Yehuda shebalas palal Hashem izbarach. Vayigash elav Yehuda, the third interpretation, that of the Rabbonan. Rabbi Yehuda said he came ready to fight, war. Rabbi Nechemia said he came, lapius, ready to appease, sweet, to appeal. And the Rabbanan said he came, he wasn't talking to Yosef at all. He came for tefillah. And what does that mean in the Pasuk? He came close to Hashem. And what was his request? His request was, can I speak to you whenever I want? Whenever I want. Whenever I want. And this is what we say. We introduce and open every Amida that we say with Hashem. Give me the words. Give me the language. Let it flow. Let it come comfortably. Let it, let it come easily. Let me connect. We have to approach Hashem with what? Yehuda. Yehuda, what's the root of the word of the name Yehuda? Hoda, with gratitude. When you approach with gratitude, now you can come with criticism. Another lesson of the beginning of our parsha. This connects a little bit to the Rav Berenbaum, Shmuel Berenbaum. Yehuda. Of course, the Pasuk is talking about the person, the name. But it is also communicating if we come Yehuda, with an attitude of hoda'ah, then, you know, they say when you do the review of the employee, first you list all the wonderful things and qualities and attributes and success, and then you offer the criticism. When you speak to your child, when you want to communicate, first you express all the gratitude. And thank you, and amazing, you've tried, you've come so far, you do so much, I'm so grateful, it's so amazing. Now, just a few things that we could work on, tweak, I'd appreciate it. So, Yehuda. once you first approach Yehuda, hoda'ah, then, now, there will be open ears. Now, there'll be more acceptance to be able to communicate the other things that need to be communicated. Pasuk Perik Bamdalad, Pasuk Chaf. Moving along. So what does he say? You asked us, do we have a father or a brother? We said, yeah, we have a father. He's an old man. And he has a... A yelled zakunim. He has a, a young child. 
And our brother, what happened to him? We quote this? What's Yehuda doing? A little something called? Lying. We're not so cool with that. Ve'achiv meis. What has he said until now? He used a different word. Ve'achiv enenu. And our brother is not among us. He's no longer among us. Now, no longer among us. At least there's some leeway to interpret different ways. He's no longer among us. Among us, however you want to take it. There's some leeway. Flexibility. Achiv meis is a sheker. It's simply not true. He's gone. He's no longer here, our brother. He alone is left from his mother and his father loves him. Meaning Binyamin is the last one left. Rashi says, Rashi was also bothered. You think you're just bothered? I'm bothered. If we're bothered, there's a good chance Rashi was bothered. Rashi was bothered and he says, what's going on over here? Yehuda, an outright lie? Our brother's dead? He was afraid. He was afraid. Sometimes, Mishanam Ibn Shalom, sometimes you're allowed to bend the truth in order to save your life. Like when your wife says, How do I look in this outfit? <laughs> in order to save your life. I'm just joking. But sometimes, Mishanam Ibn Shalom, sometimes you're allowed to bend the truth, not really. Is truth absolute or relative? Kala Nova Chasuda, now is not the time. We could speak for hours of Maramakomas on that. Right when the chassan says, "No, what do you think of my kala? Isn't she beautiful?" <laughs> so the gemara it's a machlokas. Beshamai said, "You can't lie. You got to tell it like it is." No, she's not. You could do better. But Beisel says, "Yeah, she's magnificent. She's sweet. She's beautiful. You find she's be- you think she's beautiful? She's beautiful. She's absolutely admirable, beautiful, incredible, magnificent, stunning." Because truth, is truth absolute? Is it relative? When do we have a complete fidelity? When are you allowed to bend it? Rashi says, Yehud is afraid for his life, his brother's lives, his father back home's life. So he realizes extreme circumstances call for extreme behaviors. So motzi davar shakar mipiv. Now why? If he says, yeah, there's one more brother, I have to be honest. The einenu. If Yosef calls him out on the you've pointed out your brother's einenu. Could you elaborate? What do you mean by that? He's no longer among us. Where is he? And if Yehuda would be honest, then he'd say, go get him. Go bring him. Now says Rav Druk in his new Sefer, We don't begin to understand. Many of our great rabbis feel the need to give this disclaimer. Anytime the text points out an imperfection, how do we reconcile? The Avos HaKadoshim, the Shifte Ka, they're not like me and you. They're not mere ordinary mortals. So we're very delicate and sensitive in our criticism of them. And Rav Druk here, therefore, offers the, the typical disclaimer. But nevertheless, Hashem wasn't worried about it. He points out imperfections all throughout Tanakh. He wasn't worried. And He wants us to find and strike that balance. Don't talk about them like they're you and me, but extract and derive from them lessons that we can learn. Because there is no one who's perfect. So Rashi points out, Achiv Meis was a lie. Now, do you understand the irony? Rudrick is pointing out an incredible irony. Yehuda is leveling a lie against the specific person who would most know it's a lie. V'achiv Meis, our brother is dead. Yehuda says to his living brother, Yosef. Yosef here says, I'm sorry. Could you come again? Back up? What was that? Interesting. Interesting. Because Yosef knows that he's right there. And he's alive and well. Yehuda standing opposite Yosef, telling Yosef, you're dead. Telling Yosef, I don't know if you heard, but you died. Alfred Nobel, when he read his own obituary, that inspired him after building the greatest mass weapons, and that being his legacy, decided he wanted to do something different, something more, and invented the Nobel Prize. So many Jews could disproportionately win it. So, why? What motivated him to do it? Because he read his own obituary. He read his obituary. His brother had died, but they got confused. 
and they wrote an obituary about him, and he said, I, didn't, I don't know if you heard, but you de- you're dead. So that's what's going on. Yehuda says to Yosef, without knowing it's Yosef, Achiv Meis, you died. Says Rav Druk, you know what you learned from here? Listen to this beautiful lesson. Listen to this powerful lesson, this difficult lesson. You think this only happened with Yehuda and Yosef? You know how often we bend the truth, we tell a lie, and we so in our own mind don't even realize we're telling a lie anymore that we're telling a lie to the very person we're talking about, lying about, the people who know the truth more than anyone. In other words, what enables us to lie? There's a cognitive dissonance. We don't really know we're lying. We've convinced ourselves it's a truth. We don't even know we're lying. We're pathological in our lying. So much so we could be standing opposite that person. If we really were sober in realizing how blatant our lie is and how obvious it is to the person that we're lying to and about, we could never lie. We could never lie. How ashamed, how embarrassed, how humiliated you would be. If Yehuda knew he was standing opposite Yosef, could he say the words, Achiv Meis? No. Why was he able to say those words? Because he didn't realize he was standing opposite Yosef. So we should live our lives always knowing we're standing opposite Hashem and He always knows the truth. So you're always standing opposite the one who knows the truth. And just like if Yehuda would have known he was standing opposite Yosef, he never could have said the words, Achiv Meis, so too we should never, ever, ever distort the truth or tell a lie because we are always standing opposite Hashem. A beautiful motivation, inspiration when it comes to when it comes to honesty and midvar sheker tir chak. Let's move to the next parak. Ooh, see, I told you we'd be flying. Yehuda makes and advances his entire argument. We've discussed it in the past. Again, you can go online and you can listen to previous year's shiur and Baruch Hashem. We have many, and each year is different. Each year we offer different, interesting divrei Torah. Parak memhei, pasuk aleph. Turn the page. V'lo yachol Yosef lehis apek l'chol nitzavim alav v'ayikra hotzio kol ish me'alai v'lo amad ish v'to b'svada Yosef elachav. Yosef could not restrain himself in the presence of all who stood before him, so he called out, "Out! I need the room. Clear the room." No one remained with him when he revealed himself. When he made himself be known to his brothers. He wanted and he asked for, he needed the room. Says Rav Druk, continuing in Lavosesh, What was the thing that made him right now? This has been going on for a while. The brothers first came down, he sent them back. They came back again. He had meals with them. He put them in prison for three days. He held back Binyamin. He planted the cup. There's a whole drama and a whole saga unfolding. It's been going on for a while. And all that time, Yosef was able to disguise himself. Yosef was able to hold back and withstand his urge to reveal himself. What happened, Dafka, right now? What was it right now that lo yachol He couldn't do it anymore. What happened? What was it that happened specifically right now? And why does he need the room? Why does he clear the room? I need the room. I need the room. What was the reason? So maybe the first way of understanding it is, the truth is, Yosef did not want to hurt his brothers. Yosef. This is a superhuman. Despite all they had done to him, he did not want revenge. Despite all they had hurt him, he did not want to hurt them. The Orachayim HaKadosh writes, this is the Orachayim on this pasuk, Why does he say, I'm Yosef, your brother? You don't think they would get it at the I'm Yosef? How many Yosefs were in their life? I'm Yosef. He had to add on your brother, says the Orachayim, who is signaling to them, I'm Yosef. And lest you think because I'm Yosef, I'm now about to take revenge. I'm Yosef, Achichem. I'm Yosef, and I want to be your brother. That's all I've ever wanted. All I've ever wanted was for you to treat me like a brother. 
and let me treat you like a brother. He didn't want to hurt them. So if he would have revealed himself in front of other strangers, members of his court, it would have humiliated and shamed them. And he wanted to protect and preserve their dignity. He needed to give them a little muster, a little rebuke. And even if he didn't say it explicitly, implicitly, they would receive that rebuke. He wanted to protect and preserve their dignity, so he did it in private. He did it in private. That's the first interpretation. But then says Rav Druk, a second interpretation. And this is based on the Beis HaLevi. When Yosef reveals himself, what does he say? Two words. Ani Yosef. I am Yosef. He then pauses and he says, Ha'od Avichai. Is my father still alive? And the base Alevi wonders. Is my father still alive? You just had a conversation. Do you have a father? Do you have any other brothers? We just and they just answered what? We have a father. He's an older man, but he's alive. He's well. And now your first question is: I'm Yosef. Pause for drama. Is my father still alive? You know the answer. They just told you. That we have an older father. And you already had it in last week's parasha. How's your father doing? You know the father, you still is alive. You just went back and you came back. How's your father? No, how's your father? And they answered, So now that's his first thing. Says the Beis Alevi, based on the Medrash Rabbah. Woe unto us. After 120, when we come upstairs and we appear before God and we appear before that heavenly court, the reality check, facing the music, confronting the truth of who we are and who we were and how we lived, will be as difficult and as painful as when Yosef reveals himself. Ani Yosef. And we ask on that medrash, mm, that's difficult. Musar? Ani Yosef? Ani Yosef? And the Beis HaLevi explains. What's the Beis HaLevi's pshat? Yosef didn't have to say anything more than Ani Yosef. Because the moment he said Ani Yosef, the rest of the entire picture became clear. And now they connected all the dots of their lives and of their actions and of their behaviors. And that was unbelievably devastating. Unbelievably devastating. And now we understand. Why did Yosef continue with Ha'ud Avichai? Because the ultimate Musr that Yosef gives is, Yehuda said, you have to let our brother go. Why? Our father's old and you're going to kill him. He lost one son and if you keep in Yemen, he will surely die. And Yosef can't take it anymore. He says, I'm sorry. Tell me again. You're so concerned about who? Yehuda says, my father. He's old, he's fragile, he's broken. One brother's gone. And if you keep in Yemen, he will surely die. And Yosef says, so concerned about your father? So concerned about your father? Ani Yosef. Were you concerned about your father when you threw me in a pit? When you told him that I was killed by an animal? When you, when you sold me for the last 22 years? What about then? Yosef wasn't asking, is my fa- our father still alive biologically, physically? Is he alive? That he knew the answer to. He was giving Musr to Yehuda. Yehuda and company. You claim right now, your argument right now, your appeal right now is, I can't do this to your father. Well, I got to tell you something. I'm Yosef. He's also my father. And were you worried about him then? Were you worried about him then? And that is the, That is the, Reality, we will have the Grah, the Vilna Gon says, we spoke about this on Shabbat Shuvah, and we spoke about it last week here in the Parsha class, being Roa Es Hanola, the relationship with our future self. Because you know what your future self is going to have to do? If you don't sleep enough now, you're going to have memory challenges. You don't eat right now, you're going to have physical challenges. You don't do self-care right now, you're going to have emotional issues. The future self is counting on your present self to care about your future self. For the future self to not be a stranger, we spoke about that a little bit last week. We spoke a lot about it on Shabbat Shuvah. And we quoted then that the Gros says, you know what Olam Haba is? The world to come is, Hashem says, no, come sit on the couch. Presses play and you watch your whole life together. Every moment, the public, the private, the part you knew people were watching, the part you thought nobody saw, your thoughts, your 
instincts, your inclinations, your everything. And you sit next to Hashem on a couch and you watch that. Do you think Hashem has to say anything? He doesn't have to say anything. Is there anything more torturous than the thought of His sitting next to you watching your best moments and your worst moments? Now, the good news is, that's what the Gras says, we have editing software. We can edit that film before we have to watch it with Hashem. What's that called? Tshuva. Tshuva. We can edit. We can edit. And now you understand why we should be motivated. That's why the Gemara says a person should do tshuva day before they die. And the Gemara says, do you know when you're going to die? No. Which is why every day, edit. Every day do some editing. Every day do some clipping. Every day do some censoring. Every day delete the scenes that you will not want to be sitting next to Hashem one day watching. Now you don't get to just press delete without doing the hard work of tshuva. The only way to delete is not by pressing a button. The way to delete is the hard work of tshuva. But otherwise, we come upstairs and Hashem says, Ani Yosef, He doesn't have to start to lace into you. All you have to do is look at the reality of the life that we led, and that's painful. I was with a dear friend yesterday who I love, who was crying and broken because he's made some poor decisions. And Baruch Hashem, he's now well enough to realize the consequences of those decisions and to confront the reality that he feels he created. And when a person looks at their life and confronts realities that they brought about through mistakes that they made, they don't need anyone else to say anything. All that has to be done is to connect those dots. All that has to be done is to see that reality. And that is unbearably painful. That is painful. And that's what Yosef does here. He doesn't lay sin and give major musr. He just says, Ani Yosef, ha'ura vichai. You know, the kid didn't get into the seminary yeshiva. They applied to the parent. doesn't have to say, you see, I always told you you have to try harder and I can't believe it and you're such a nice varf and this is what's going to happen and I warned you. The parent should hold and coddle that child and cry with them because the child doesn't need the parent to say a word. A word. Their rejection from that dream is, is all they needed to hear. It's a very powerful lesson. The way Yosef responds to his brothers, the way Hashem will respond to all of us, and the way that we should communicate with the people that we love. A third interpretation of the Lahavosesh. Why did Yosef reveal himself right now in this moment? First answer we gave was, he didn't want to embarrass his brothers. The second answer was, they're asking about your father. Do you care about your father? Did you care about your father when it came to me? And the third is, he starts to see them lie. He sees Yehudah's getting desperate, willing to lie. It's time to reveal himself. He doesn't want to contribute to that whatsoever. Rav Druk then has another interpretation, and I never heard or saw this until this year. This is really beautiful. In that moment, Yosef called out, remove every person, me'alai. And he says, first of all, there seems to be a, a, um, a repetition. Remove every person, me'alai, from... Translate. From... Upon me, below Amad Ish Ito, and there was no one with him. Okay, if he told everyone to leave, of course the room was empty. Why does the Torah need to say that Yosef called, "Give me the room," and he got the room? Everyone leave, and everyone left. Why does he have to repeat that? Why does he have to repeat that? Listen to this, Rav Druk. Was worth coming today, just for this. The Medrash tells us a parshas. I'll give you the short version of it. The Medrash talks about a Parshas Achrei Mosh that in the moment that the Kohen goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim to do the Avoda on Yom Kippur, Kimalach Hashem Tzavokosu, that the Kohen Gadol has the ability to transform himself to being like a Malach, like an angel, to transcend and rise above the human impulse and instinct and foibles and failings and to become a Malach, to rise to become a Malach. That he has the ability. He has the ability to do that. Says Rav Druk, he's quoting the Sfasemes. Sfasemes, Ani Yosef Achichem, Hashem Echaitem Osim Mitraima. Ani Yosef Achichem, Adayin Eni Itchem Ba'achva, Shalach La'achri. Ani Itchem Ba'achva, Hashem Echaitem. As Chazal say, Ala Luchas Asher Shibarta, Yashakoach Shesh Shibarta. Sfasemes says, you know what Yosef was saying? Ani Yosef Achichem. I'm Yosef. And I don't want to take revenge. I don't want to get even. I just want you to be the brothers I've always, always wanted you to be. Hashem Echaitem Osim Mitraima. I am the Yosef that you sold to slavery is not, and therefore watch out, I'm about to wallop you. Asher Macharta means, Yashakoach that you sold me. It all worked out for the best. I needed to be here in order to save the economy, save Egypt, 
save our family, feed our family. Yashakoach, just like Hashem responds to Alaluchos Abishanim Asher Shibarta, Asher Shibarta, Yashakoach Shashibarta. Hashem says to Moshe, Shkoyach, that you broke the Luchos. Asher Mechartem, that same language, Asher Mechartem, Yashakoach Shemechartem. Now, for Yosef to be able to do that, says Rav Druk, that's superhuman. You know what behavior that's like? You know who has that kind of behavior? A malach. A malach. A human being can't have that attitude. A human being can't bring that mentality or have that paradigm. That's the behavior of a, of a malach. So says Rav Druk, it's a beautiful, listen to this. Yosef was not calling out Remove all the other people that are present. Yosef was talking to himself. And he says in this moment, Eliminate all the personal, all the human, all the animal fight or flight, all the jealousy, anger, resentment. Eliminate, Eliminate all the human in me because I want to display the behavior of an angel. V'chol Adam. And, that, and what happened? And Taka, there was no person there. And what was the, what was the conclusion? Lo amad ish ito. There was no ish ito. This is similar, says Rav Druk. This is similar. V'chol Adam lo moed. The Pasuk says, there can't be a person in the Ol Moed when the Kohen Gadol comes in. It doesn't mean there can't be anyone else. It means the Kohen Gadol can't be an Adam. He has to be a Malach. It reminds me, Rav Druk doesn't say this, but it reminds me of Moshe Rabbeinu. Spoiler alert, let's go forward to book number two, to the sequel, Sefer Shmos. When Moshe has this moment with the Mitzri, Vayifen Chovacho, he looks this way and that way, Vayar Ki'ein Ish, and he sees there's no Ish. There are moments where we look in a mirror and we ask ourselves, am I going to descend to the lowest part of who I am, or will I rise up to be an angel in that moment? Difficult, very, very difficult. But isn't that amazing? Did you ever hear that before? What a beautiful interpretation. The ability to say, Ani Yosef, Achicha, I'm Yosef, and I want to be your brother. Asher machartem, Yashikoach shemachartem. And not only am I not angry, Shkoach that you sold me, because that was what was best. To display that graciousness, generosity of spirit, self-control, that's, that's angelic. And that's what Yosef was saying. Remove all the ish, all the human in me. I want to see if I can be an angel in this moment. I want to tell you, if you weren't here this past Shabbos, we had the great schuss of hosting our dear friend Yedid Yaharush and an amazing woman, Donna Cohen, whose, son, whose husband, Aviad, was murdered on October 7th, one of the volunteer security who went to a neighboring yeshuv to fight. And the only, the people of Shlomit was the only yeshuv that went to fight not only for themselves, but a neighboring yeshuv that needed them, and they lost four people. And on one block, there are now four widows and 15 orphans. And one of them, Donna, came with her six children. This past Shabbos, she spoke Shabbos afternoon here. It was, it was listening to a malach. What she spoke about Hashem, and now we have to come together, and Am Yisrael Chai, and Aviyad is still living and looking down, and died for a reason, and who we need to be, and the actos we need to have, and that Hashem slapped us on the face, but this is how we have to respond, this is what He's waiting for from us. I don't know about you, I felt, aside from feeling incredibly small and tiny, that, that we're sitting in front of a malach. A malach. Absolute malach. A really beautiful malach. You know, the next night they were here Shabbos, they went to New York on Sunday, and uh, there was a concert done on behalf of the people of Shlomit, Yishai Ribo. And... Uh, Donna Cohen was called on stage. Sheribo called her on stage. This doesn't come off my Parsha time, but I have to tell it to you. I can even post a video of it in the Parsha group. So Sheribo called her on stage and Aviad's mother, who was also here the Shabbos. And he said that Aviad Cohen was a Cohen. And a Cohen is supposed to bring korbanos. And Aviad gave a korban. He was the korban. He was the korban for Klai Yisrael. And then he sang his song, Yishai Ribo Seder HaAvoda, which begins, Bami Makom Shabbat, Halach Makom Shalach. He came from the place he came, he went to the place that he went, and he sang it as a tribute to Aviad Kohen, the Kohen who was Makriva Korban. He was that Korban, he was that Kadosh. Just unbelievable. It's unbearable, this pain. Every day, including today, of the losses of these soldiers and these incredible people. 
But so many of them are malachim. Are malachim. I could also post the video of, of Ben Early's mother, who at the Shloshim with Shlomo Katz playing, stopped Shlomo Katz in the middle of the music and looked around that room and said, what are you doing? Why are there so many sad faces? This is a mother at the Shloshim of her son who was killed in battle in Gaza. And she says, why are you all looking so sad? If we're going to bring the Geula, that we need to remember then, but we need to do it besimcha with happiness. So she says, stop, leave, you can't stay. We're only going to have the Shloshim, we're only going to sing with Rab Shlomo, Shlomo Katz, if you could do so with sadness, but a sadness of simcha, besimcha. These people are malachim. They're not to be believed. You couldn't draw it up. You can't make it up. And I don't know they exist in any other people. No criticism of any other people. Mika Amcha Yisrael. But Yosef in that moment showed that capacity to be a malach. To be a malach. Danakon was a malach. That doesn't mean they don't have moments, by the way, that they cry and they break down and they feel pain. Because they are humans. They're human malachim. But for us, they are unbelievably inspiring, incredible malachim. Incredible malachim. Ay, there's so much more. But I want to get to some other things. Haura Vichai, is our father still alive? I'll tell you, Orav Salavechik, that blew my mind, different than what we always think and say. Listen to this, Rav Salavechik. When he says, Haura Vichai, is my father still alive? The moment Yosef discloses his identity, says Rav Salavechik, he ceased to be a ruler over Israel, ceding sovereignty to Yehuda. Providence willed that Yosef would lose and Yehuda would win. Now is not the time, but we do a disservice when we see this as some petty sibling rivalry. This was a clash of titans. This was worldviews and philosophies. This was something enormous. This wasn't petty sibling rivalry between Yehuda and Yosef, the brothers and Yosef. This was a clash of titans and a clash of ideologies and worldviews. And providence willed, Hashem ultimately chose, that as much as we love and admire and invoke Yosef, Yosef Atzadik, who is the father of Jewish monarchy, it is Yehuda. To understand this drama, says the Rav, we must retrace the story of Yaakov. Lavan had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Yaakov loved Rachel very much and tells Lavan he is ready to serve seven years for her. Rachel certainly reciprocated Yaakov's love, yet she acquiesced to the scheme devised by Lavan to substitute Leah. Not only did Rachel not tell Yaakov about her father's plan, but she cooperated in the conspiracy sharing the password with Leah. How could Rachel participate in this deceit? How could she forego her love for and devotion to Yaakov? This narrative involves two attributes of the Holy One, chesed and gvura. The Rav is about to go 2.0. The Rav is about to go deep, deep, deep. Not just the sweet story, Rachel Leah, she gave the simanim, it was a great act of chesed. There's something much deeper going on over here. Leah represents midas gvura, dignity and majesty of man. Her cooperation with love on skin demonstrates courage and valor. Right Here's a woman who's going after what she wants. She shows courage and valor and a little bit of chutzpah. Rachel was the opposite of Leah. She's the tragic heroine who lived for others. She surrendered her rights so others could find the happiness denied to them. Rachel represents chesed. Yehuda was the son of Leah. His personality radiated power, authority, prestige. Yaakov described him as a lion, the warrior who relentlessly pursues his enemies. Consider the firmness and majestic fearlessness Yehuda exhibited when he argued with Yosef about Benjamin. After all, the viceroy could have done anything to him. Yosef, on the other hand, is the son of Rachel. His mission was to sacrifice, to retreat from hard-won positions. He sacrificed many times, but his real sacrifice was the way he treated his brothers when they were at his mercy. Only a son of Rachel could offer friendship and kindness to the same brothers who had caused him so much misery. Yosef personified chesed. Who would be the king? The Almighty decided in favor of the son who represented Gvura. The king is the trustee and leader of the people. He must display gvura in all respects, the ability to acquire, to defend, to possess, to protect. A life sacrificed for others, a life of chesed, is appropriate for the individual. But the king cannot sacrifice at the expense of the nation. In this moment, it's an amazing interpretation now. The Rav is not saying this. But Ke'ilu, he's almost saying, had Yosef said off with their heads, then he should have been the father of Jewish monarchy. But because he was soft and sweet and gentle and generous, and he said, like his mother Rachel, I'm forgiving. We could try again and let's be brothers. By the way, he never got his wish fulfilled. That's a fast forward to next week's parsha. 
But he never got that relationship with the brothers he wanted. He wished and he waited and he longed and he tried, but he never got it. But he was so forgiving and soft. And the Rav says, HaKadosh Baruch paskind, that chesed of Rachel that Yosef was, that's beautiful on the individual level. But on the national level, the communal level, the leadership level, you need a lion. You need Yehuda. You know, I think of this, and I'm not trying to connect these dots for you, but if you're in charge of Israel right now, so the individual hears the pleas of families of hostages or has to make decisions, how could you send boys into war? On the individual level, you have a Rahmanas and soldiers, so a ceasefire is very attractive. On the individual level, anything to bring hostages home, anything, whoever and whatever you have to release. On the individual Rachel level, the Yosef level, the Chesed level, it's very attractive. But the Jewish people, if we've learned one lesson from October 7th, and how the people who perpetrated this were in position to do so, it's because maybe we had a little too much Rachel, a little too much Yosef, and we need a little more Yehuda. We need a little more Leah. We need a little more Gvura and a little less Chesed. On the individual lesson level, all over Israel right now, peanut cham, soldiers, cookies, tzitzis. On the individual level, we need a, a nation filled with Rachels, a nation filled with Yosefs. Chesed, 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 chesed. But in the decision maker's office, we need a Yehuda. We need a lion. We need Gvura. And that's, what, that's not my interpretation or of Soloveitchik's. Soloveitchik is saying that's what the Ribbon Shalom paskind in that moment. In those words, Ani Yosef, Yosef sealed his fate that he would not be the father of monarchy. It's fascinating, right? Because we've always read that Yosef is the hero. He's so gracious, so generous. And, and for the Rav, Yosef a little bit missed the opportunity. No, he didn't. It's who he's meant to be. It's what he brings to the table. But to a degree, Yehuda now surpasses Hashem Paskins like Yehuda because that's what our people, that's what our people ultimately need. And what I need is another hour. <laughs> At least. We did about one-third of the things I wanted to tell you. This parsha is amazing. It's rich with things. There's so much. Al te'atzvu. He tells them, don't be sad. V'yatem al te'atzvu. Don't be sad. Why shouldn't they be sad? They should be terribly sad. They should be grief-stricken. They should be broken over what they did and who they were and how they've hurt them. Why shouldn't they be sad? Why shouldn't they be sad? They should be terribly sad. Where's the Jewish guilt? Should be making them feel guilty. Should be laying it on thick. Of course they should be said. Of course they should be said. So can we end with this? You give me one more minute. Of course they should be said. So why does he say don't be said? I'll teyatzvu. I'll teyatzvu. So I'll just tell you one thing. I'll teyatzvu. The Rach Meshrifka, the Amaros Tahoros. He quotes from the Avashalom. Viata al teyatzvu. Ein viata, the word viata always means, anyone know? It's a medrash rabbah, bracious rabbah. Ein viata ela, tshuva. Like vihaya mikates, the word vaya said. Viata, we have words that always have an association with them. Viata is always tshuva. So what do you mean, viata tshuva, al teatzvu. Hinei af b'sha shosem tshuva al chatam, also liyos pa'atzvus. V'lachein kan sha also ashvatam tshuva al mechiriz Yosef. Like the Chovah Salavavos writes, Now, while you're doing Tshuva, he turns to his brothers and he says, while you're replaying everything right now, while you're being overwhelmed with shame and guilt right now, don't be sad. Because Atzvah's sadness, it's kryptonite. Sadness is the worst. It brings about our ends. It debilitates. It knocks us down. It makes us feel low. If you really want to come back stronger, rise above it, learn from it, transform, you want to do tshuva, al tatsvu. You can never be sad. We make the mistake, Yom Naram time of thinking, Elo, Rosh Hashanah, says me tshuva, Yom Kippur, this Friday, Asara Beteves, is a fast day, slichos. Ooh, I have to walk around like this all day. Sad and somber and sad and tshuva. No, tshuva is besimcha. I'm going to change, I'm going to transform, I'm going to be better, my best is yet to come. Besimcha, viata, the very methodology, the very strategy. You know how you do tshuva? Besimcha. The Tefer Shlomo of Shlomo of Adamsk, he made tshuva, mitzvah, zaseim, and atorah, lachin, shrikhan, lachin, mitoch, simcha, what about atzvah? Tshuva is also a mitzvah. And 
Every mitzvah has to be done b'simcha. And if tshuva is also a mitzvah, it too needs to be done b'simcha. It needs to be done b'simcha. And that's what I said, my friend. My friend, who I told you was debilitated and broken and sad by facing and confronting the reality of a situation that he created through his own mistakes. I sent him a picture of this, this Amaros Tahoros. My dear friend. And now, you're doing tshuva, you want to be better, you want to fix, you want to repair, you can never do it out of sadness. Never out of sadness. That's what Ben Early's mother said. We're sad. We're sad at his loss. We're grieving. But we're grieving besimcha. Stop looking so sad. Sing, and you have to sing grief, but besimcha. It's, it's angelic. That's what malachim are capable of. And that's who we are. We're able to be malachim. We should have no more sadness. And only simcha should be a day that we hear good things. Please stay and remain. Take the flyer so you remember to come. Motzei Shabbos, Erica Brown. Please stay and say a few prakim of Tehillim.